0: to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, reading from verses 32 to 34. And next, after that, you'll be hearing from our pastor, uh, Russell Rader. And it reads, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise this is the word of the Lord for the people of God thanks be to God thank you so much Brandon you got to think of something better than the disco though um, <laughs> like dinner at Dunkley's is, or like dining with the Dunkley's like I, I, we're going to work on that after so do <laughs> <laughs> you liked it? Yeah. Oh okay well I'm wrong. Um, I'll have, I, I'm really wrong you know that's what it there we go. All right well happy New Year. Good morning so good um, to be here. one more. How about that? Is that better? Turn me up a little bit. There we go. This is a better spot I think. Um, it feels good um, to be here and I was walking here this morning and I felt um, I felt like a bit of anticipation. Uh, about the year ahead for us as a church Um, we grew quite a bit through 2022 but not only in the sense that we would um, grow numerically but that as a church um, we would learn more um, about how to serve our city about how to love our neighbors better and that that would sort of be our DNA Um, and so um, I'm excited about that so Brandon and I are going to come up and pray at the end of service um, for our church um, just for the year ahead and I, I know often it feels like after church, it's like, do I meet new people or do I go get prayer? Um, Rachel and Katie are going to be over here to pray after. I just want to invite you to get prayer today, um, to really receive that um, as a, a gift to you, um, whether you know it's just a prayer of blessing and presence for the year ahead. Um, maybe it's a work thing. Maybe it's a next step thing uh, in your life. Whatever it may be, please receive prayer today and then meet some friends, all right? Um, so, you could just really accept that today. Um, all right, so it's a new year. Um, Easter is 13 weeks away. 13 weeks, and in that amount of time, um, we're going to spend uh, right here in the Gospel of Mark. Guys, tell me if I need to grab a, m- a mic. I'm happy to do that. Is it still pinging? All right, I think we're good. Very good. All right, so this is where we're going to be, and this is actually where we said we, we wanted to start our church. Um, September 2021, we said we want to roll around in the Gospel of Mark, get a renewed vision of the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? How can we follow um, the real and the raw Jesus? And after this 13 weeks, we'll have spent 48 weeks in the Gospel of Mark, which is a very long time. Um, And so we're both excited to finish, but I would say that it's been a way of formation um, to see Jesus um, as Jesus is in the text, and I'll talk a little bit about um, why today, but this is going to be our journey over the next 13 weeks to really finish strong, and um, today is sort of a, um, a crux point in the book that I'll show you where Jesus has a, a different vision um, than the disciples, one in which um, it, the word Jerusalem becomes really important. So let's pray today, um, and we'll get into this. And so God, I love you so much, and we are a, a group of people who are in the very least curious about who you are, um, how you walked around um, this world and you loved people on the margins. You, um, you are a God that came and walked alongside a, a group of 12 to change the world. And so I just pray right now for us as a people, as a group, that, um, that both our curiosity would be piqued, But not just in our heads, God, I pray that our hearts would be formed to love others better today. That as we think about a new year and new opportunities, I pray that we would be mindful of the ways that you are already at work in our community and we join you in those things. And so, God, I love you and I just ask that you would be um, in, in this place by the power of your spirit. And God, what we know not would you teach us. What we have not would you give us and what we are not would you make us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to begin with a phrase today. It's going to be like my whole point today. I'm going to say it three times. That's like a very pastoral way to do things, is like repeat things. Um, And I just want to say this thing over and over and over again right here. Um, If we get the slide. There we go. The story you live in, you live out. The story you live in, you live out. Let me say it again. Uh, The story that you live in, you live out that's like the whole thing that i want to talk about today and this is true regardless of what you believe regardless of how old you are the story in which you live you end up living out all right that's that's it you can check out for the rest of the time if you really want um but how about a quick inventory you came here this morning with your life already happening um i love we were talking about like new year all the things um uh, emily's praying about 2022 what happened in 2022 Like before you think ahead, like I know you're already eight for eight on dry January and you've been to the gym five times, but um, maybe before we think about 2023, let's look back, right? What happened? Um, Your life normalized maybe a little bit from 2020, Uh, a new job, a new relationship. Um, Maybe you gained a friend. Maybe you lost a friend. Uh, Maybe you lost someone dear to you. Maybe you uh, made a big decision uh, in, in 2022. Maybe you moved. These are big sort of like threshold moments that really shape our lives as a whole. And maybe for some of us, we actually don't need a a quick prompt, but maybe that would just invite us to a few hours of like deep reflection. Maybe it's a day away where we say, how did that year take me to where I am today? I often don't think that we learn from experience, but we learn from deep reflection on our life experiences. And the reality is many of our, like, sort of uh, New Year's resolutions, they actually come from the things we dislike about ourselves or the deficiencies that we see in ourselves, right? The goals are a quick reflection on our past year and where we want to be in the future. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's actually a positive thing um, by and large. But we come and we say, how do I become a fuller version of myself? How do I change? How do I grow? I should do more of this. I should do less of this. But I think before we think about what we should do, we should think about this, what story we're in. Um, a Scottish philosopher, um, Alistair McIntyre, says this. He says, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? Right? Yet, this isn't our go-to to say, what, what larger narrative am I living out? It's like, what do I do? What happened last year? Okay, like I'm just going to change, right? How do I change? How do I grow? How do I develop? How do I become a more well-rounded and holistic person, right? But I think if you were to like zoom out a little bit, why do you even say those specific things? And the reason is, is because without knowing it, you're a part of a story and that story has enculturated your life and it's shaping what you think, how you think, or my way of saying it is the story you live in, you live out, right? Right? There's a larger story at work, and without being um, mindful of it, you realize you're actually immersed in it, and so uh, right now, I don't know if there's a land, but um, it's it's soup season in our house, um, and my wife is cooking, like, pea soup, which I just found out is basically bacon, which makes it delicious, Uh, lentil soup, borscht, chicken noodle, kale, sweet potato, lentil soup, soup, like, crazy stuff. I wouldn't even guess, like, this could be a soup but I'm on to my wife, I know what she does. She takes this immersion blender at the end of the soup and she'll like put everything together, right? It's like sucked up into the immersion blender and it's like this, she's not in here if you're looking for her, she's downstairs, she doesn't know I'm gonna say this, I didn't ask her, it'll be fine, okay? I'm on to her, what she's doing is she's hiding the things that I probably wouldn't eat or our kids wouldn't eat, it's genius, all right? Dill, parsley, like beets, the kale has grown on me, but like she hides it in the soup and takes it in the immersion blender. All those little pieces of the soup form the soup as a whole. I don't know if this is going to land, but like this is it, right? This is the story. We're, we're a part of the soup. We're like being immersed in it, and it's shaping our taste. I don't know. It's shaping who we are. You understand my point is the point, <laughs> all right? We're rolling around, and we're being drenched in it. This was the intention with the book of Mark. 48 weeks, Why? 48 weeks because that's how you immerse yourself in something. It's slow. It takes time, but over time, we're becoming more like Jesus because we're spending time with Him. And this is what the Gospels are actually intended to do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, are actually supposed to shape our social and our moral imagination. It's supposed to shape how we interact with people in the day to day, and it's actually supposed to shape how we think ethically about life and how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, Eugene Peterson called called the Book of Mark the basic text for christian spirituality and so most scholars believe that in the book of mark um, the author is john mark and john mark was actually um, not as uh, like prominent um, because he was actually a secretary and a translator for um, the apostle peter and so peter is actually the eyewitness with jesus getting the words and the actions of jesus telling john mark and john mark is writing it all down and so what you're getting when you're reading mark is you're actually getting peter's account of jesus the gospel is written to shape your social and your moral imagination. And so here's where we began in, uh, in Mark chapter 1. The beginning, uh, think uh, Genesis 1, right? That's what it's tra- trying to trigger, uh, me- memories of, of the book of Genesis. Of the gospel, uh, in the Greek, gospel is eongelion. It, it means good news. It, um, it, Romans would use the word gospel as a way of, uh, of announcing uh, um, a, a new leader, a new king, Octavian. Gospel, this is good news about who? Jesus. And that's like the intro to the book, right? It's like telling us what's about to happen. But then Mark does something silly. He spoils the whole book. It's not inductive. It's not going to unfold. He tells us the ending. Who's Jesus? Christ. That's not his last name, by the way. Um, Christ is Christos. It means um, Messiah. It means long awaited King, the one that's going to come and save us. And then Son of God actually just takes Christos a little bit further. Son of God is like, this person that we're about to tell you about in this book is divine. The divine Son of God. The King. And so in, in a lot of cultures in this time, this would have been outright blasphemous. This 12, these 12 words. And then when we get from Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 8, is Jesus on the go. Miracle working, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, leading his disciples, showing us what it means to be fully human. And he's also showing us what God is like. Jesus is brilliant in that way. We attach ourselves to Jesus and we say, that's actually what it means to be the most fully, fully human. But then we also get a picture of God through the person of Jesus. And then in chapter eight, there seems to be a, a shift here. It says, um, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, the bar is raised, right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me and this is the the invitation of jesus this is what this is who we are as a church if you're wondering who we are as a church we're a community following jesus why because that's the invitation of jesus to come up under me as a disciple the the word is discipleship to follow jesus and we believe that um, if we're doing that in the most genuine and authentic way then we would be better neighbors then we would be we would have better marriages that that our city would be better because we follow jesus Right, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't place judgment on other people, but we would love other people in a genuine way. Why? Because Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, listen to this, let him deny himself. No thanks, Jesus. Like, that's, that's kind of my way of thinking about it, right? Like, deny myself? In other words, my life is no longer all about me, my agenda, my identity. And I think the problem for us is that in hundreds of uh, hundreds of ways, every single day, we make ourselves the center of the universe. But the Christian life is, is a radical denunciation of the self. And I think a lot of people, they think, well, I, I, I'm going to follow Jesus, right? And, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, like, make little adjustments along the way, little tweaks to my personality. I'm just, Jesus was pretty nice just be a little nicer, right? I'm just going to move on from from that argument. But I don't think for some of us, I don't know if we're ready for, like, the full denunciation of ourself for Jesus, And it's almost like what Jesus is inviting us into is he's saying, hey, make sure you say bye to your old self. Goodbye, old self. Goodbye, old life. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Right? So we're deeply loved by God, but there is an expectation of following him. And that would actually amount to a challenge in our life, which is the denial of ourselves. And then what does it say? Take up your cross and follow. And this is exactly what our passage is actually shifting us towards um, today. When we follow Jesus, the path Jesus takes is the path that we're invited to take. We follow him towards suffering and rejection and death, and we follow him in resurrection life too. And I think this is really, really crucial, right? You're like, I'm not just, we're, you know, we're not just signing up for the suffering part. There is a life of resurrection that we're invited into as well. But if we're going to take seriously. A life of discipleship. Then we we should consider the invitation of Jesus, where Jesus is leading us, and that's where we come to our um, our passage today. Mark ten thirty two says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And I put the NIV here because you'll notice a little bit of a difference um, between the, the, these two translations. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and I don't know if it's just describing a very literal thing that's taking place, or if it's a metaphor about how Jesus leads, he goes first and we're to follow him in that way. I'm I'm inclined to think both. Um, But Jesus is ahead of them in some aspect. And I love this. It it seems as it says the disciples were amazed and the other people that were following were afraid. So there's a sort of emotional response here um, to Jesus as well. Where are they heading? They're heading to... Jerusalem. And that's why I say there's a a shift. This is a new chapter um, in the book. It's a new scene. There's a movement. And Jerusalem, it's it's likely that some of the disciples have never been um, to Jerusalem. But I think Jerusalem has different visions for the disciples than it does for Jesus, right? Jerusalem to the disciples is where Jesus becomes king. And guess where they are? They're next to him, right? And so they get to, you know, become heads of state or you know speaker of the house if they can ever vote on it. Um, I, I think that what they're saying is I can attach myself to the person of Jesus and I'll be with him in glory. That's their vision, right? And, and, and this is the third time that Jesus says he's going to his death. We're going to get to this in a second. This is the third time. Almost every time it says, and the disciples were confused. The disciples didn't understand, but Jesus is resolutely going to Jerusalem to do what? To be crowned King, but in a very, very, very different way. It's the place where he gives up his life, where he shows us um, the meaning of true sacrifice with Jesus leading the way. And here's what Mark is trying to do. Mark has a bit of an agenda. He's trying to show us um, the difference between Jesus and the disciples. He's saying they're looking at Jerusalem differently. Jesus is heading to the cross. The disciples are like, we're going to be with Jesus as he's crowned king. And then taking the 12 again, he began to tell them, What was happening, what was to happen to him, saying, see. And this this word here in uh, in verse 33, see, is like, um, it's like a catchphrase. He's trying to say, like, "Uh, watch out, see, look. He's like, he probably says it louder. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. We're like a little bit over halfway in the book of Mark. And Jesus is like, this is what's going to happen to me. And I, I almost just laugh a little bit. Like, Jesus is very plain about what is going to take place. And they still don't get it. I'm probably just this dull. Like, I would, I'm i not going to say that I, I would be, you know, like, alongside him. But I I, I I, think one of the things that we should acknowledge in the very minimum is that by and large, when we follow Jesus, there's often a difference between who Jesus is and what Jesus wants and, and how we act. And I'm not, I'm not giving you like a, a, an ethics lesson today on how to, to live your life in that way. I'm saying, how are we attuned to Jesus? How are we attaching ourselves to Jesus so that the things that Jesus wants done in this world, we're a part of, right? And this is, this is what's so, so beautiful about the Christian scriptures. And this is why I believe in them for, for life and for practice. They're shaping our minds and our hearts and our affections and our habits and our loves. And if we let it, maybe, maybe that's the goal of today. The goal is for me to convince you that you can know something here, but you have to let it sink into here. And so, how do we take this 14 inch journey of what we're knowing about Jesus in our heads and let it seep deeply into our hearts so that the story that Jesus is telling is one that we embrace for ourselves? It's not just in our head, but it's in our heart. It's sort of like this. Um, my friend, um, when we were 16, uh, he worked at one of the nicest country clubs in Scottsdale. And he was a valet driver, and so he would drive the nicest cars, and he would come back and tell me about it. He's like, dude, I drove this Porsche, I drove this Range Rover. And he's like working, ar- um, he's at this country club. The, the fees I think were um, per, per year was like, or the upfront membership fee was 250,000 for the, um, like the upfront membership. And then it was like 50 or 75,000 for the year to be a part of this. Michael Jordan was a member. My friend was like, I met Michael Jordan today. He's like, tell me all this stuff. And so he worked there for years um, and he's around all this fancy stuff, all these wealthy people. Um, he, he, he started valet, he was hosting, he was serving. And slowly over time, I saw him change uh, he would dress a little different, um, he would, uh, smell, like, he had, like, different cologne, and he could just chum it up, he's, like, the best, he can just talk for hours about, um, nothing, and, uh, (laughs) that's kind of mean, isn't it, um, (laughs) don't listen to this, um, the story you live in, you live out, right, the problem for my friend is that it was shaping his habits and his practices and his dress, but he was still getting paid like a valet, and so that was a painful place to be, um, Or think about it this way, Um, Christian college, weird, weird, weird culture, right? Like, I I did my undergrad at a Christian college, and all the rumors are true, all right? (laughs) Opposite gender dorms, legalistic, you don't get kicked out if you drink, um, but, like, it's definitely frowned upon, and you, like, sign, like, a code of, of conduct. The worst thing about Christian college is that everyone knows everyone, and so you get, like, three chances to date, or you're blacklisted, like, you're done, people married at 20, but the, the truth is, is uh, the reason people get married at 20 is because the story you live in, you live out. You're If you're in this sort of subculture where everyone is doing the same thing, it's like it seems very natural, we'll like date for two weeks, <laughs> three months, whatever it is, and we'll do it. Or I don't know if you saw the piece, um, I think it was New York Magazine that did um, the piece called Nepo Babies, did anybody see this? Okay, this is just absolutely wonderful. Basically, New York Magazine ran a piece on the child of a celebrity, and they coined the term nepo baby, nepotism baby. Made me laugh so hard. Um, And basically all it is is that Hollywood is run by a network of families. So Jamie Lee Curtis and Maya Hawk and Ben Platt and Zoe Kravitz. And what Hollywood has done is like shape these kids and then it's just embraced them as like the next generation of stars. So how do you break through in Hollywood these days? Uh, You know someone that's already famous and you're in, right? They're enculturated in a story, and guess what they do? They live out that story. Why would you depart that story? It's, it's built in for you. And you might say, well, Russell, that just, that's just called subculture. Well, I think that's part of it. But there are undergirding stories culturally that we are living out. And I, I'll reserve my opinions on that, but I think that what happens is, is that we need to be mindful or we need to call out some of the stories that um, are underneath. And you can be dreaming about the year ahead, but I think in order to really dream about the year ahead or to, to, to really think about how to become a fuller, a ho- more holistic person, what we actually need to do is be mindful of what actually undergirds our stories. Um, I found this fascinating um, thinking about the agenda the disciples have and the, di- the a- agenda um, Jesus has here. And I think what it maybe should, maybe the best way to say it is a word of caution to us. What are the stories underlying our culture that we should be cautious of? And I just want to mention two here today, and then we'll come back to this text. The two I want to mention here are moral relativism and expressive individualism. And I know that just sounds like big words that you like here in sociology class, but what what do I mean by that? Moral relativism, right? That there's no universal right or wrong and that individuals and cultures are free to form their own moral truth. And those truths, hear this part. I think this is one of the most important parts. Those truths are always correct because there are no objective moral truths to compare them to. maybe the best way to think about this is you do you right like I say that all the time like you do you like I'm, that's that's your life that's fine right And by and large we live in a you do you culture. So I was just um, I was just with my family um, for a week or so back uh, home in Arizona and I was dying for some good coffee like absolutely dying there's so much bad coffee in this world and I'm just gonna be honest y'all do some barbaric stuff to your coffee. Like, it's, it's unacceptable. I saw this guy last week. I was at this conference, and he had a black coffee. I was drinking it. It was bad, too. Um, but he was just pouring honey into it. And I was like, what are you doing, man? He's like, whatever to make this stuff taste better. I'm like, I, that ain't it, all right? <laughs> Two weeks ago, I watched my father. He took like a cup of sweet vanilla creamer, like poured in the cup, and then poured like equal parts coffee. And I was like, Dad, like, that is going to kill you. Like, please do not do that. I'll be the snob. I don't care. The correct way to drink coffee is black, single origin, pure, simple, and perfect. If you want me to teach you, I would love to teach you, all right? (laughs) But here's what I've learned. You do you. It's your coffee, right? I don't care how you drink it. I have made people delicious cups of black coffee that are perfect and pristine, and watch them pour unstirred almond milk into it. And I'm like, Don't do that. But you know what? You do you. It's your coffee, right? You do you is harmless when it comes to coffee. But to say there, I got the food, like the the food illustrations today. I'm gonna get get, make us hungry. There's to take it to take it further to say that there's no universal right or wrong that you can form your own morals and your own truth doesn't compute. Here's why: moral relativism brings moral disorder. If everyone is just saying, you do you, in, in the ethical sphere, um, where we, one, we can't follow the ways of Jesus, but one, it brings disorder to our world. Moral relativism brings moral disorder. Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. It's an invitation to a way of life that actually shapes us. And, and sometimes I look at the Bible and I'm like, I just seem so conservative, right? It just seems like Jesus is trying to tell me what to do. What Jesus is doing is he's bringing us into a life that's, holy and perfect like he is and we should be mindful of the ways in which we ignore the ethical teachings of jesus and substitute it which for that which may be culturally acceptable and maybe maybe you are even looking at me right now and you're saying you know what like i knew this guy was more conservative than i i knew it i knew it i knew it i knew it but let me let me show you something no one actually believes moral relativism at their core no one believes that Everyone believes there is a way, there is a standard, there has to be a way to understand that which is right and that which is wrong. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, no one actually lives like a relativist, all except sociopaths. So there you go, somebody does. Believe in certain deep truths about right and wrong, human nature, justice, and a good life. And I love this. What we need is a non-oppressive moral absolute. What we need is a non-oppressive moral absolute. We need moral absolutes that don't turn the bearers of those moral absolutes into oppressors themselves. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about this more in the coming weeks because I, I actually think that this is really important um, in a moment where, in a political sense, you know, we uh, we waver so much. What does it mean to actually follow Jesus? I don't want to give you a distorted picture of following Jesus. I, I I can say you do you with your coffee, but um, I, I don't think that we, sh- we should do that in other areas of life, and I don't think that would be beneficial for us as people living in the city trying to really love our neighbors, okay? What about this other one, expressive individualism? Uh, Robert Bella actually is a sociologist who coined this term, and he says that expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individua- individuality is to be realized. And essentially what he's saying is is that the self is achieved, when what you feel and experience inside is in congruence with what's displayed outside. Part of this that we should affirm and we should attach to and say, that's true. In fact, we should honor congruence between how we feel and how we express ourselves. I think that's really, really, really important. The part that gets taken too far is the individual part, which is this. In this, the highest good of the individual is found in freedom, in happiness, in self-expression, and in self-definition. But there are some things in this world that are just true and so we need to be cautious right i think that a lot of us particularly um millennials we attached onto the idea of freedom freedom is actually our highest value and it aligns a lot with our culture and so we say um if i could just detach from my family of origin i can become a whole person part of that is true there are healthy boundaries that need to be set but what does it actually look like um, particularly for us as a church to actually have a communal value where we actually are submitting to other people's authority and voice in our life where we're a whole person there is there work to do in that there is right there that can that can lead to unhealth that can lead to abuse but i think um maybe the best way to think of it is this way is when you thought about your new years what are your what are your resolutions they're always about yourself and i'm not blaming you i, I me too how many of your new year's resolutions were about loving your neighbor not many right and so I think there's a way of viewing ourselves in this world that says, um, we don't. We obviously don't say these things out loud, but expressive individualism is actually the way we understand ourself in this world. And Jesus' invitation is into a different story. And I, that's why I love this passage so much. Jesus is saying, this is the way I'm going. Would you follow me in, in my story so that the story you live in, you'll live out? Here's Jesus' story. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Resurrection. I think this passage is sort of subtly an invitation and a challenge. Um, If you notice the word, we. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. He's in a point in his discipleship journey with his disciples. He's saying, this is what we're doing. I just found it fascinating, right? Like Jesus actually says, we're, we're going together. We're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to do the work of death, burial, and resurrection. But I think this is a really crucial discipleship moment. And the invitation there is to follow him. And this is what we're going to do over the next 13 weeks. We're going to follow Jesus as he makes his way to the cross. So here's my challenge for you today. Um, wherever you are, this is not a judgment statement, but here's the challenge. Are you in the story of Jesus? Not are you perfect, not are you morally upright, not are you going to crush your New Year's goals. I hope all those things are true. But are you embedded in the story of Jesus as this year begins? Because I think if you are, then what you should do and how you should act is going to come really naturally to you. And, and maybe maybe today, maybe the, maybe the story of Jesus is like not your thing or maybe you're not doing that right now. And maybe the question then is, what story are you in? In a non, non-judgmental way from, from me, just to ask you, are you mindful of the, the story that you're you're living in, right? Jesus, in this passage, is saying, I'm going to lead you as one that's going to lay down my life. Jesus, the one who willingly subjected himself to pain and the human condition, one who taught with grace and with truth, one who taught us to love our enemies until the end, right? Right? The one who um, strayed away from the centrums of power, by and large, and hung out on the margins. That's how we, we actually get to know Jesus. So we just spend time immersing ourselves like a soup around him, right? And so this is the, the story that we live in as a church. This is our identity as uh, a church community. And what we're trying to do is say, as long as we continue to attach ourselves to the person of Jesus, um, the serving our city part is going to come really easy and naturally because we, we're looking like Jesus and we're listening like Jesus. So um, last week, I was with a bunch of pastors um, with our church planting organization, the Orchard Group. And I was talking to um, one of the older church plants uh, that was there. Um, and I remembered my, um, my wife, Katie, actually reminded me that we visited his church back in 2014 in Chicago. And then my wife reminded me that I had this insane experience at an Airbnb in Chicago. Um, Katie and I were getting ready to get married in 2014. And so we were like broke, broke, had to save like all the money we could And so, like, I just found the cheapest spot on Airbnb and, like, said book. I think it was $75 for, like, two nights. Um, So, I end up going, and my spot is with Ryan. And um, in his uh, apartment, I walk in, and he's like, this is your bedroom right here. And I look in, and there's a dresser. And then there's, like, um, a camping air mattress and, like, one blanket that didn't even end up, like, covering, like, me. And there was one pillow. And I was just like all right, $75 for these two nights. It's like fine. And then the only other thing in the room, no joke, were these shelves. And there were like these idols on the shelf, like over the bed. And I was like, all right, like, I don't know about that, but there's like incense next to the idols. And like, I look back at him and I don't even know how, but I was like, I'm just going to tell this guy what I do for a living now. So it's like going to just be easier. And I was like, yeah, I'm a pastor. Um, And he's like, well, I hope you're cool with it. But my roommate is like, Hindu, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's fine, he's like, my roommate's name is Cigar, and then we, like, um, we go out into the living room, and, like, his roommate's stuff is all in the living room, I'm like, yo, you Airbnb your room out and just kick him out into the living room, like, this savage, and so, like, there's, like, a full comforter in there, I was like, you couldn't share maybe a little bit, and so I tell Ryan, um, yeah, like, my, you know, my girlfriend and I are hanging out, and, like, we're gonna, like, go to this church tomorrow, and he was like, my dad has been telling me to get up, he's been calling me on Sundays and telling me to go to church. I was like, well, cool, man, like, you can come with me. And he's like, can I invite Saigar, too? And I was like, yeah, like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me at, at all. And I ran into him, his roommate, the next day, um, and I was like, hey, I don't know if Ryan told you, but, like, we're going to church. Uh, do you want to go? And he's like, I believe in many gods, so I will go with you. And I was like, those are your statues. Like, I, I, I'm, like, putting it all together. And so we go to church um, at this church plant. Um, they had launched that same year, and they both loved it. Like Ryan and Saigar. They loved it. They like come up for prayer after. This is like my plug to like get prayer after church. They go up and um, we um, we go to lunch. They have a ton of questions. Katie is like sitting with them, like talking through all these questions that they have. Um, here's a picture of us actually. Uh, I, I dug this up deep. So Ryan on the left, uh, 24-year-old me, and then um, Saigar on the right. We made We became pretty fast friends. Long story short, um, we, like, go our separate ways from there. And I go back to the Airbnb that night, and um, Saigar is, like, sitting in the, the living room reading my Bible. And I was like, oh, man, like, what what's going on? And he just, like, looked up at me. He's like, you have to tell me more about Jesus. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is, like, the evangelistic story that every pastor wants to be able to tell <laughs> that I get to tell now, you know. Um, and he ends up telling me more about his life. He's, like, just trying to like fit in he's been in america not very long and uh, we end up walking through some scriptures I, I don't even know i don't even remember where and i just leave my bible with him and the thing he said to me i have it written down in a journal he says why has no one ever told me about this man jesus i was like stop it i was like what like how, what do you mean you know and he, you know his phrase like i believe in many gods i, I will go with you This guy immersed himself in the story of Jesus for one day. Like we became Facebook friends and we messaged a little bit after, but for one day, and at very minimum, Jesus piqued his interest. What would happen in your life if you attached yourself to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do you like? How do you want me to live in this world? What what, what should I even be dreaming about? What should my goals be? How do you want to shape me in that way? And so here's my challenge for you today. It's very direct. I, I really, really want to encourage you to do this, to read the Gospel of Mark this week. It's 16 chapters. It will take you an hour and a half. If you read it 10 times, if you've never read it before, read it this week. An hour and a half, I'm sure you do triple that in screen time a day. Uh, no judgment. Um, but slow down and just immerse yourself in the story. Turn off your phone. Read a physical copy if you have one and just read it straight through. Just just in one sitting, read the whole thing. And right before you do, just sit quietly and pray. Say, God, I want to hear from you. I, I, I want you to teach me about who you are. All right? We, we always say reunion is a community following Jesus. This is just a simple way to say this is how I follow Jesus, by attaching myself to him through his word. And we just embed ourselves in that story. Would you do that this week? Read the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to do it this week. Um, my kids might do it this week. They don't know it yet. Um I hope Katie's going to do it, but would you join us and just put it on your calendar, an hour and a half, straight through, read it. And that's just a simple way to immerse yourself in the story, so it's a little jump start for the next 13 weeks ahead, all right? All right, let's pray. So, Father, I love you, and um, I do, I thank you for a new year. I'm I'm grateful that as a church we can gather back again. Um, Even this week, I'm reflecting on the different shape um, that our community has uh, made over the last year and a half. And I'm excited about what's ahead. And I just pray that this would be the story that we're really rooted in, that has captured our hearts, that you would be leading us, that um, there would be a sense of your grace uh, in our midst, that there would be a sense of your humility, that there would be a sense of your love, that as a community we're different, that even as we gather in this dance studio, that that this space would become thin space where we actually meet from you, where we hear from you, where we sing songs about you because um, we long to become like you and to love you. And so may that have our hearts today. And I pray right now as we um, enter into a time of communion that the communion table would be an invitation um, to your grace again, a tangible reminder of the ways that you've loved us um, through what you did on the cross, that you gave your life, And that you resurrected. And so God as we do that today. May we remember you. And remember that we are deeply loved. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.